Let the good news come now, Father, not only in word, but with power, with the full assurance of the gospel and of hope to eternal life. We thank you, O God, that you're our great redeemer, and in this moment we can trust and rely on you. And so use these words, God, to speak to the deep recesses of our souls that we might not leave this place unchanged. And we pray all these things with great anticipation, and we pray them in the strong name of Jesus the Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. On the way to the first service this morning, Pastor Chuck grabbed my arm right before I walked in, pulled me by the elbow, leaned in, and with his, you know, Barnabas-like spiritual gift of encouragement, he's like, hey, do you still know how to do this? You're about to preach. I have very low expectations today. My only goal today, I want to under-promise, over-deliver, is to make sure that all the people who came back from our Malawi mission team, that you stay awake for the whole sermon. That's the only expectation that I have really today. But it is so good to be back with you and to be able to share the privilege of God's Word together. My family is tired of me preaching to them. They're glad I get to preach to you now. And so I have an outlet. Hey, uh, several years ago, as the pastor of a kind of a smaller neighborhood church in Summit, New Jersey, I want to show you a picture of the Central Presbyterian Church in Summit, New Jersey. And there was this one day at the office where our financial manager, part-time, Patty Doherty, came and knocked on the door and she, she said, Pastor, I, I've, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this check. I said, Patty... It's really easy. You deposit the checks. You always deposit the checks. And she's like, no, 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 you're really funny. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't know where to put the check. And I said, well, if you give me a few moments, I can get my routing number for you. And she's like, no, can I have a serious conversation with you? And I'm like, yes, what do you really want to know? And she's like, we've got this check, but we, it's for several thousand dollars, but we don't know what it's for. We've never heard of this person before. I've checked the roles. They're not a part of the church. To our knowledge, they've never attended the church. And I said, well, let me see the check. And I saw the check and that there was a phone number on the check. And so I dialed the phone number and we thought we would give this woman a call. And she actually answered her home phone and I introduced myself and I said, thank you for your gracious generosity to the church. And we just wanted to get to know you a little bit more. Can I ask, you know, um, have you been to the church? No, never been to the church. Do you know anybody at the church? No, I don't know anybody at the church. Did you come to a memorial? Do you, have you been influenced by a ministry? No, 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 no. I've just driven by your church. I said, well, why did you give this gift? And she said, well, I'm not getting any younger. And I figured that I might need you in the not too distant future. So I sent you a check to put you on retainer. <laughs> what? Yeah, I want you to do my funeral. And I figured, you know, kind of like a lawyer, I would put you on retainer so that you would be willing to do my funeral. And I said, you know, it, the gospel doesn't work that way, that we'd love to be in relationship with you. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to weep with you when you're sad. We'd love to celebrate and rejoice when you're happy. We'd love to break bread together. We'd love to, to spend time around tables together, worship together, play together, all of those things. But you can't put God on retainer. You can't buy your way in. And so you know, we'd love to have you come to church this week. She's like, I'm not coming to church this week. I just want to put you on retainer. We never cashed that check. 
and we send it back to her. I actually wish we had kept it because I wish I could have framed it and put it up in my office as a reminder that you can't buy God's favor. You can't earn your way into his family. You can't put God on a retainer. That's just not how it works. She wanted something from the church without wanting the church. She wanted something from God without wanting God. She wanted to take advantage of God. She wanted to take advantage of the church. She wanted to manipulate God. She wanted to use the church. And yet we know that that's not how it works. Maybe in your own way, you know what it means to be taken advantage of. Maybe you know what it's like to have somebody to want something from you, but they don't really want you. That doesn't feel good, does it? It's just not the way it's supposed to operate. It's not supposed to be a transaction. It's supposed to be a relationship. You know, people often say this. They often say that things were made to be used, and yet people were created to be loved. And most of the disharmony and most of the chaos that happens in the world actually can trace its way back to that origin when we get those things confused. Because in today's day and age, more often than not, we are loving our things and yet using the people around us. We've gotten really confused. Eugene Peterson goes as far as to say is that most of the destruction in the world today can be traced back to the fact that we try to treat God as a thing. We don't say that we're treating God as a thing, but more often than not, we want to kind of take advantage of God or use God or get the benefits from God, but we don't really want that relationship with God. And so today, I'd like to introduce you to a figure from the Bible, a really clear, humorous example of somebody who is actually trying to use God instead of serving him. And so if you will, reach for your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. We're going to start reading in the 21st verse. And while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the backstory here, because this isn't as familiar of a part of the Bible. The ancient Israelites, when they were liberated from their bondage and slavery in Egypt, started to find their way through the course of a whole generation through the wilderness. Something that should have taken them a month to do at the most actually took them a whole generation. They wandered their way through the wilderness, and they started to make their way towards the promised land. As they started to make their way towards the promised land, they started to come up through the south, and the first group of people that they were about to encounter were the Moabites. Now, the Moabites lived in the promised land, and they weren't going to take these new Israelites, these God's people, they weren't going to like say, hey, welcome, here's the keys, you know, you're welcome to settle here as well. No, it was going to take a fight. It was going to be a battle. And yet there were all these stories of these Israelites and how God was on their side. And so the Moabites had a neurotic, nervous king by the name of Balak. And Balak decided that he needed some spiritual assistance on his side. So he wanted to put a prophet on retainer. And he found a guy by the name of Balaam who was a priest for hire. He would work for whoever would write the biggest checks. 
And Balaam was willing to bless whoever paid him and to curse who you ever wanted to pay him to do. And so King Balak hires Balaam and Balaam is on his way in this story that we're about to read to go to curse God's people. And so let's pick up the story in Numbers chapter 22. Balaam got up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road and into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path through the vineyards with the walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. And so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry, and he beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you've made me a fool. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. And so he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. May God bless not only the hearing, but also the receiving and the enacting and the doing of his holy word. I want to begin today with a little bit of Bible trivia. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and answer this question. How many talking animals are there in the Bible? Ready, set, go. All right, well, the answer is two. There are only two talking animals in the Bible recorded for us. You've got the story that we just read, Balaam and the talking donkey, and there's also the talking serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Now, what's interesting about this is that if you compare the Bible to other literature of its day, not comparing it to literature today, but back then, you would be surprised by how infrequent there were talking animals in the Bible, because it was a very common way of telling stories. But this story reads like a Hollywood movie script for a cartoon, doesn't it? 
I mean, it's funny, it's slapstick, and you have this talking donkey, which gets us to the point of maybe realizing that maybe this Bible story was the inspiration for this here up on the screen for Shrek. I mean, I don't know if DreamWorks was paying royalties to God for the inspiration of the story, but maybe they should. Back in 1967, archaeologists uncovered outside of Israel these incredible eight panels that depicted eight centuries before Christ a visionary seer, a priest for hire, a guy by the name of Balaam. It's one of the more convincing, non-biblical, non-Israelite, non-Jewish, extra kind of archaeological discovery that confirms the same time in the story of the Bible. That yes, there was this guy by the name of Balaam who was a priest for hire who King Balak tried to get to curse the Israelites. Balaam was a guy who had a very strong sense of spirituality, but no concept of divinity. And so he was trying to use God. He wasn't trying to serve him. I don't want to admit it, but I'm more like Balaam than I would like to confess. And I guess that you probably are too that there are moments when we're less trying to serve God as we are trying to manipulate God to get what we want. And so I think part of the beauty of this story is how can you tell that you're trying to manipulate God or use God or use other people instead of serving God and serving others? And through this story, we notice three ways, kind of three ways that uh, you can tell if you are using God and using others. And the first one is this, that you have poor vision. Did you notice throughout the course of the story that, and this is the great irony of the tale, the story is, is that the donkey can see more clearly than the professional prophet. And that on each particular occasion, the donkey is actually saving the prophet's life. And that the prophet wants a sword in his hand because he wants to be able to kill the donkey. But it's a reality that the only one with a sword in the story is the angel of the Lord who's blocking the road. The beast of burden has a greater sense of perspective and reality than does the so-called priest. This is what happens when you're trying to manipulate God or use God. You lose your ability to see. You lose your perspective. Your vision gets narrowed and something that anyone else can see, you don't even notice. This was true for a guy that I worked with not that long ago. We were on a team of people and the guy is absolutely brilliant but he's also at times insecure. And because of that, almost all of the time in the team interactions, he always, every single comment is kind of geared towards, I'm the smartest person in the room. Have you ever worked with somebody like that? That every little comment, every contribution is almost just a little tiny proof that I'm the smartest person in the room. He's trying to use the people of the team to prop up his own 
ego and understanding of who he is. Here's the ironic thing. Everybody on the team knows exactly what he's doing and can see it. The only one who can't see what's going on is him. He's blinded to it. And so when you're trying to use God, when you're trying to use other people, you lose, like Balaam, your ability to see something that is right in front of you. The second way that we can tell if we're trying to use God instead of serving Him or use other people instead of serving them is a chronic frustration. Do you find yourself ever getting increasingly more frustrated and angry? Like Balaam in this story, there's like this great crescendo of increasing levels of anger, abuse, and even violence. The reason that you and I get frustrated can be traced back to one single thing, that you and I have a will, and we don't like it when somebody crosses our will. The, the most honest prayer that some of us could ever pray is, not thy will, but my will be done, right? That that's what we're trying to accomplish. It's not God's will. It's what we want. Recently, our family was uh, in Europe. We got to take the kids to Europe for the first time. It was so amazing to see the world expand through their eyes, what it was like to watch their faces when they walked into their first cathedral or to roam and adventure around a castle. It's an incredible privilege to get to travel. This is a picture of the great city of Edinburgh from the top of it. And I was super excited to get to see Edinburgh because this is kind of ground zero for us as Presbyterians. It was a site that I hadn't gotten to see before. I want to show you the outside of the St. Giles Cathedral. This was the home of John Knox. This was the place where it all started. This is where he preached and he taught. And then after Presbyterians were persecuted, it was the people from here who started to make their way to the United States that founded Presbyterian churches here. And I was so enthusiastic to get to experience this little pilgrimage for myself. I was so excited to get to introduce this to Kelly and to the kids. To, I mean, this was not just kind of a tourist stop. This was a holy place for us. And so we started out at the castle and we work our way down the medieval street and we get to the front of the St. Giles Cathedral and the doors are closed. And there's a bouncer standing in front of the doors like it's some sort of nightclub. And he's telling us that it's not open, that there's gonna be a wedding. And I'm like, no, 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 we just need to, we need to come in for just a little bit. We just have to see this. We're not normal tourists. You gotta let us in. No, I'm not gonna let you in. And so I started to get frustrated. I started to get a little angry. And so I started to plead, well, like, okay, when's the wedding going to be? Well, the wedding's in three hours. Well, we don't need three hours, pal. We just need a little bit of time. Come on, just, just let us in. No, I'm not, not going to let you in. And then my brain is looking at this guy, and I'm like, this might be the smallest bouncer I've ever seen in my life. I think I could take him. In fact, I think my youngest daughter could take him. We'll just push him aside. We'll go on. And I'm getting more and more frustrated because uh, you, you don't understand. This is why we came 
and we have to be on a bus soon and there's, there's no way for us to be able to come back on this trip. This is our one moment and I'm getting more and more frustrated and I'm noticing that as I'm getting more and more animated, my family is taking further and further steps back. And then I'm not proud of what I did next. I took a different strategy. The strategy that is, do you know who I am? I pulled my business card out of my wallet and I handed it over to him. And I'm the pastor of the Peachtree Presbyterian Church. The bouncer did not care about this. No effect. Where's the pastor? Let me talk to Colin McLeod. Is he here? He's got a wedding in three hours. He can't be too far away. Nothing. Stonewalled. Shut out from the birthplace of Presbyterians. And so I make the quarter mile trek over to my family from how far they've retreated. (laughs) I'm so sorry, we're not gonna be able to go in. The kids, the wife, they're fine. They're like, it's okay, dad, we're sorry. It's just not supposed to work out this time. And I'm like, no, I need a moment. There's gotta be a way in. Thinking of all the Mission Impossible movies that I've seen. And then from around the corner, And you can always tell because they're wearing the priestly collar on that side of the pond. Here comes the pastor. And so we eventually get to go to the inside of the church. Would you like to see the inside of the church? (laughs) This is the inside of the church up on the screen. It's beautiful, is it not? So you can see why I wanted to go in. And here's a picture of me with the pastor in the church. And we're walking in and we're getting this private tour of the church and I'm leaning over to the kids and I'm like, kids, let this be a lesson to you. That a very laser-like focused tantrum is sometimes quite necessary in order to be effective. (laughs) Have you ever felt like as a parent that you won a battle but you lost the war? That I was super excited to go into the church And I was thrilled to be able to take them into the church, but I don't think another member of my family actually enjoyed being in there. And the reason that they probably didn't enjoy being in there was because of the increasing level of frustration and anger and behavior of their father. It was all about his will maybe even if it wasn't God's will. I mean, clearly it was God's will for us to go into the church. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But I'm just saying. Do you experience increasing levels of frustration in your life? It gets back to the fact that you have a will and you don't like it when that will is not fed, is not satisfied. First way you can tell whether or not you're serving God or using Him is your poor vision. The second way is chronic frustration. And the third way that we notice in the story of Balaam in our last point, blessing manipulation. Balaam doles out blessings and curses for hire. He gives blessings when it suits him. He gives criticism when it works for him. I don't know about you, but when I take an inventory of much of what I say, a lot of the times I bless 
or I criticize in order to manipulate or to control or to manage people or a situation instead of just giving the blessings of God. The people of God were meant to be different. It's not because they were more numerous. It's not because they were better than anyone else. It's because God wanted a people after his own heart for whom they would be blessed in order to be a blessing for others. They just weren't supposed to be blessed for their own sake. They were to be a channel of that blessings to the whole world. It's a true story of a little girl by the name of Marianne Bird. She was different because she had a cleft palate. She had a disfigured face, garbled up teeth. Her speech was a jumbled mess. Oftentimes, when she was in early childhood, she would tell the other children what had happened to her when they would ask. She would lie. She would say that when she was young, she had fallen and she had hit her face and cut it open on a piece of glass. For some reason, for her, it was seemed more okay to have been injured than it was to have been born that way. She knew she was different. One glance in the mirror, she could tell why others would want to turn and run away. When she was in the second grade, she had Mrs. Leonard for a teacher. And in the second grade, they would always administer a hearing test. And Mrs. Leonard would, like the other teachers, have a particular child stand a certain distance away, have to cup one ear with their hand and listen with the other ear. And Mrs. Leonard would whisper something that the child would have to whisper back. Most of the time, it was just things like, the sky is blue, or I like your shoes. But when it was little Marianne's turn, she was standing in the corner covering her ear. And Mrs. Leonard whispered to her, I wish you were my little girl. The seven words that forever changed the destiny of a child. I wish you were my little girl. And Miriam Bird said back, I wish you were my mom. Marianne eventually became a teacher. And she dedicated her life to pouring out blessings indiscriminately to others. Balaam learned his lesson. Balaam learned that you can't manipulate God, you can't use God, you can only worship Him, you can only serve Him, you can only love Him. And interestingly enough, after this encounter, after he falls to the ground, after he confesses, God sends Balaam out. And do you remember what he said? He said, speak only the words that I tell you. And Balak would try to pay more money and ratchet up the expectations and even threatened him his whole life, and yet Balaam would not curse the Israelites. The only thing that would pour out were these blessings. Some of the most elaborate Hebrew ancient poetry we have. 
One of these blessings I particularly like is this. When Balaam says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. God's people were always supposed to be different. To be a blessed people, to bless others. Balaam changed. I don't know if that woman in Summit ever changed. The one who wanted to put God on retainer. And I don't know if we'll change. But I hope that we'll become a little more like Balaam and that we'll have a greater clarity of vision, that we'll have less frustration and a deeper sense of peace, and that blessings and encouragements will pour forth from our lips in an uninhibited, unhindered capacity. And if those things happen, that'll mean that we're serving people instead of using them and we'll have stopped treating God like a thing. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the incredible way that you have taken us on detours this summer and that you remind us of why we're really here. Whisper those blessings in our ear and for the person who needs to be encouraged in the midst of our own disfigurement called sin, for the person whose frustration level has reached a fevered pitch, whose will is just something that shouldn't be crossed. Open the eyes of any of us here, God, who can't see what's right in front of us and help us to stop using you and instead, like Balaam, to fall on our face and worship you. Use even dumb animals to show up and to teach us. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.